Good morning. <laughs> Lovely to see you. So, uh, after the emotional service we had last week, blessing our leavers, we are jumping right back into John's Gospel this morning, continuing where Tim left us a couple of weeks ago at John chapter 15. And to spare you from listening to my voice too much, uh, I have a treat for us all this morning. Sarah, where are you, Sarah? Uh, there you are. It's going to kindly read for us John chapter 15, verses 1 to 17. This is in the English Standard Version, which does appear in your Bibles as well as on paper and will also appear on the screen. So if you have a... Um, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> be a bit weird if you sort of shout at my cheek, wouldn't it? Yeah, you can have your own microphone. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's right, pal. Great. We're brother and sister in Christ. Shout, shout. Um, great. Turn to that in your Bible or Bible device. And uh, thanks, Sarah. Go for it. Strong work. Thanks, guys. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, John 15, starting at verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Amen. 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 Thank you, mate. Beautifully read. And keep that as a souvenir. That's all yours, pal. This passage is one with one divinely inspired, funnily enough, extended metaphor running through it. Jesus is the vine. It's such a good metaphor, such a good picture he gives us to explain how he wants us to relate to him and what happens when we do that properly as well as what happens when we're not relating to him properly. So we're going to spend some time this morning digging into it and seeing what it means for you and for me and for our relationships with God. But if you are the sort who likes to listen to the first minute and then take a nap, or alternatively, if you'd like a title for this talk, here's the message that we need to take away from today. 
get stuck in to me. Or better, but less catchy, stay stuck in to me. Let's dive right in at verse 1. I am the true vine. So Jesus here again makes one of his famous I am declarations. A not very subtle hint to anyone listening that he was saying, God and me, the I am and I, we're the same. This was echoing God's words to Moses out of that burning bush in Exodus, where Moses said to God, what's your name? And the voice of God from the bush answered, I am who I am. Tell them that the I am has sent you. Jesus, when he says, I am, with quite as much emphasis as he does, is letting his disciples know that he is God. So, it's good for the first two words, isn't it? Let's move on. Jesus says, I am the true vine. In fact, I would argue that our translations have missed out on an emphasis which the Greek version of this gospel has. The wording is more accurately and more clunkily, I am the vine, the true. There's even some wordplay going on. If we translate the statement back into Hebrew, presuming that Jesus spoke Hebrew rather than Greek, where the word for vine is hakanah, and the word for true is haken. I am the vine, the true. Hakanah, haken. I reckon Jesus loves puns. I reckon he loves wordplay. No, just me. Either way, <laughs> he's really emphasizing this true part. So if Jesus is making a point of not just being the vine, but the true vine, well, what's he comparing to? What other vines are there? I know of at least two that I want to briefly share with you this morning that I think are helpful for how you and I can approach Jesus. Firstly, the vine was a symbol for God's people, Israel. From the words that Jacob spoke over his son Judah, that's Jacob who was renamed Israel, from whom the biblical nation of Israel is descended. From there, through the time of King David and through the Psalms, uh, Psalm 80 in particular, the vine has been a symbol of God's people. Psalm 80 reads, you have brought a vine out of Egypt. To be part of the vine was to be part of God's people. It was a question of identity. You'll see that I'm giving the, the guys on the laptop at the back a really hard time this morning. I'm going to be jumping about all over the place. If you're part of the vine, you're part of God's people, that's a question of identity. But just like the Pharisees in Jesus' own time who said to him, who are you to criticize us? We're children of Abraham. We're God's people, Matthew 3 verse 9, paraphrased a bit. Jesus is saying, again paraphrased, nah. Identity doesn't cut it. You have to be truly connected into God yourself through a relationship yourself with the true vine, me. Not rely on some claim that you're born into. Let me challenge you here this morning, especially those of us who have grown up in a church-going home or have been resting in a sense of being a Christian as your identity. Jesus isn't having any of it. Jesus talks about, he invites and he challenges us to active relationship with him, being the only real vine, the only real connection to God. If you've been resting back in anything else, even in being a Christian, then let these words be to you this morning. If our church's name was the vine, which it practically is, and Jesus came and said to you, 
I am the true vine, he'd be saying, being part of this group isn't enough on its own. You've got to be part of me. Membership here in the Kingdom Vineyard is not qualification for a relationship with God. We really hope it helps. But it's Jesus, not us or any church or any group who you really want to be connected with. Our job as his church is to help you make connections with God. We want to celebrate that and support that with you. So firstly then, Jesus is the true vine, not any false sense of identity. Secondly, let's take a little tour of Jerusalem, shall we? At the end of the previous passage that Tim opened up for us a couple of weeks ago, Jesus said to his disciples, this is John 14, verse 31, rise, let us go from here. So you have the Last Supper, and then rise, let's go from here. In fact, all of the section of John's Gospel that we've been going through for the past few weeks is Jesus' Last Supper discourse, Jesus' conversation with his closest friends that starts at the Last Supper and ends in the Garden of Gethsemane where Judas betrays him by bringing the mob to arrest him. That takes us roughly from John chapter 13 to John chapter 18. And in fact, John 18 verse 1 has Jesus saying, uh, Jesus, oh sorry, has Jesus going out with the disciples, crossing the Kidron Valley, entering the Garden of Gethsemane. Now we're not told where Jesus and the disciples went in between, but I like to think that this is a walking and talking chat between the upper room where the Last Supper took place and the Garden of Gethsemane, overlooking Jerusalem from the east. That route would almost definitely have taken them past or even through the temple. The symbol of the center of every good Jew's worship, the place where God himself had promised to dwell or abide, if you prefer. It was the focus of all worship, and it was where God's people expected the Messiah to come from. Of course you would. The temple doors would swing open and out you pop. It was also, if we remember Jesus' angry clearing of the temple, a place where the focus seems to have shifted from God himself, from relationship, from intimacy and mercy, into transactions, trading, and rituals that had somehow lost the presence of God from them. Why am I bringing the temple into this? Without laboring the point too much, I think Jesus comparing himself to a vine may well have come from Jesus walking past the temple and seeing the great golden vine that decorated the front pillars of it. Jesus, but there we go, Jesus was a master at using pictures that his audiences would just get. He spoke about seeds and crops to farmers. He spoke about fishing to fishermen. I think there's good reason to believe that he spoke about a vine to the disciples as they passed the huge symbol of the temple's wealth and glory to say, ah, this isn't it, guys. This isn't the focus. We've missed it. This is an artist's impression uh, of what it might have looked like, and I haven't even been bothered to pay for it to get the um, copyright taken off. Uh, if you're really interested, uh, we've got a couple of historical descriptions of the temple to make sure I'm not lying to you. We've got um, a quote from Josephus, uh, who, describing the temple uh, about 94 AD-ish, uh, describes at the front, the pillars interwoven over these uh, was spread out a golden vine with its branches hanging down from a great height. The largeness and fine workmanship of which was a surprising sight to the spectators. Beautiful, thank you. And the next one, um, this is from the Talmud, 
Um, So I've taken this from a Jewish text, not a Christian text, uh, describing a golden vine stood at the door of Hekal, trained on poles, and anyone who offered a leaf or a grape or a bunch used to bring it, and the priest would hang it thereon. Um, I don't know what R stands for. Eliza, son of Zadok, said on one occasion, 300 priests were commissioned to clear it. So people would come and give their gifts or pay a token on the way into the temple. We've also got a, um, a big picture of uh, golden grapes and leaves that isn't from the temple, but I quite liked it and it gave me an idea. <laughs> this huge golden vine in the temple may well have been there because the vine was a symbol of Israel, God's people, but it, it had also become part of the temple's decorations, part of the whole culture and makeup of the temple, and people bringing gifts to hang on it uh, were feeding not always a true worship of God, but possibly something that had become slightly twisted, slightly broken off. I think Jesus' challenge to the disciples to have a true, real relationship with God and not settle for the empty shell of a religion that God isn't in the middle of is the same challenge to us. We can be as guilty of having a false religion as the Pharisees were or as the temple was of settling for the outward form of a relationship with God, looking like people who are in a relationship with Jesus, but not actually having the core. If you feel like the middle has been missing out of your Christianity, then let this be a loving and warm-hearted challenge to you. Jesus himself is the true vine, not the decorations, not even the gift-giving the shiny outward gold-covered symbols, nah, Jesus. So, Jesus is the true vine, not any empty sense of identity. Jesus is the true vine, not any false religion. What does he mean then? Let's look at the passage. With the help of real vines themselves, not just symbols of them. That was a good introduction, wasn't it? I spent a fair bit of time this week Uh, learning how vines grow and how to care for them. And it's been really, really interesting. Jesus is a genius. God is well clever. This picture is so, so good. I am the vine. My father is the vine dresser, verse 1 says. Skipping ahead to verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it's he that bears much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is saying, I am the living, growing connection point. My father is the gardener or vine farmer, the one who manages the growth of the vine. In those two sentences, Jesus is giving us a description, an insight, again, into how the father and son of the Trinity work in this world. Well, that's actually pretty, pretty substantial, pretty special. And in this picture, with Jesus as the vine, we're the branches off the vine trunk. Yes, that is the correct word. I looked it up. He's the strength, the rootedness, the place where life flows from. We are his extensions. You might have heard Christians talk about God wants us to be Jesus' hands and feet in the world today as we partner with him in his mission of spreading his kingdom. It's as his branches that we reach out from the vine trunk and produce fruit. It's a picture with such firmness, such strength into it. 
a branch's connection to a tree is so locked in, so integrated, and so inseparable. Does that sound like your relationship with Jesus? A branch is filled with the life that flows through the trunk. Does that sound like your relationship with Jesus? And a branch, of course, is held up and supported by the trunk. Does that describe your relationship with Jesus? Friends, if the answer to any of those was, well, maybe not actually, Jim, then when we offer to pray for people at the end, that offers for you. Come forward. We'll have someone pray for your branch's connection to the trunk. Now, verse 2. We start to see the work that the Father does in our relationship with him through Jesus. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it may bear more fruit. Let's pause and just look at what fruit is here. The passage doesn't say exactly fruit is this, but there are a couple of other clues in the Bible which can help us decode this picture. Galatians 5, chapter 22 and 23 makes reference to fruit. These are some fruit that a living relationship with God should be producing in us. The funny thing about fruit is that a tree doesn't do fruit. A a tree doesn't strain. I really want to make some fruit over here. It's just something that happens when a tree is being a tree. It's a natural part of the growing process. And I think that alongside the passages in the New Testament which tell us to put on righteousness and put on uh, these things, actually... There is a sense that if we have the Holy Spirit living within us, these things are the natural outflow of his presence. Like a tree produces fruit, having the Holy Spirit within us produces this fruit when he's active in our lives. It's a wonderful partnership in each person that Jesus, as the trunk of our lives, produces. I think this is some of the fruit that God wants to produce in us, but actually I don't think that's what John's getting at here. I think there's more to it again. I think here Jesus is talking about producing anything which is glorifying to God, if you want a definition. I think the fruit of a life lived with God is stuff that grows through us with his DNA in it. If you are in Jesus, if you are a branch connected to him, then it's expected that the fruit of your life, the stuff that you produce, will have his DNA in it. And like ripe fruit dropping from trees, little pockets of his kingdom will be left in your wake as you've blessed people, loved them as he does, brought joy, peace, healing, and precious seeds of other people's own relationships with him wherever you go. And if that's not happening in our lives, then we're maybe not working as he intended us to. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. If we're not bearing fruit, if our connection to him isn't right, then he'll cut that off. And if our connection to him is right, then he'll prune the branch to improve our effectiveness, to redirect the energies. This is normal, sensible management of a vine. Where there is life, it needs to be carefully directed. The precious energy of the vine needs to be steered to be as productive as it can be and not given to bits of the branch that aren't using it well. In my life, I've seen 
where God has pruned off things that I used to put my energies into that were not useful for my relationship with him or for introducing others to him. Are there certain things you're doing? Are there certain activities or habits you have that stop you producing God's fruit, that dilute the energy and strength that would go into that, that need pruning from your life? Does some Netflix time need to be snipped? Or maybe certain relationships that you've got that drain your energy or that pull you completely away from God. You might even have felt his nudge within your heart in those moments. He's good at letting us know what's bad for us. And if you've been living as a Christian in name only, and you're not seeing the fruit of God's work in your life, if you're not seeing stuff around you that clearly has the DNA of Jesus in it, have you noticed that your own relationship with him might also be drying up? He wants all of you, not a strangled branch that's only half connected. He'd rather cut that off, start again with you, and there's grace. There is the opportunity to be fully reconnected, and if that is you, then I implore you to take it. Verse 3 says, uh, we will speed up later on, I promise. Verse 3 says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. What's going on here? Again, some really fun wordplay. Uh, well, I think it's fun anyway. The word for pruned and cleaned are deliberately connected. Jesus is connecting the disciples being cleaned, being spiritually right with God, to them having been pruned. The cleaning and the pruning process are related Jesus prepares the disciples and prepares us by, at the same time, purifying our lives and our relationship with him and making us more fruitful to spread his kingdom. And he, cleanse, he cleanses us to be ready to bear fruit by the word that he's spoken to us. Everything Jesus has taught, everything that he's brought us, has the ability to prune and purify our lives. So, that there Bible that you've got. If we take in his words and we listen to him when he does nudge us in our hearts as well and in our heads to remember verses, to remember his words, he'll keep us away from damaging actions. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Abide isn't a word that we often use, so how about remain in me, or dwell in me, or rest in me, or make your home in me? There's something in that word about settling down into our relationship with Jesus, making permanent our base in him. If we, can, if we think we can only dip into our relationship with Jesus, we've missed out on what he's offering us, and we've missed the ask he's making of us. Jesus wants a marriage of your heart to his, not an on-off relationship. Abide with me. Let me abide with you. You'll never grow the fruit of having God's kingdom in your life without me. Trust me. I'm the only way. How ridiculous is it to have a cut-off branch striving to bear fruit? That's how ridiculous it is to have a person 
growing in God, producing the things of God without God. But threatening or warning as that might sound, the counter-promise is there. If you abide in me, you will produce much fruit. This makes sense as a picture of the vine, but there's more than that. There's a promise of generosity in there too. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Here's a plain warning. If we're not connected to Jesus, then... Spiritually speaking, we're not productive as a branch. We're not growing fruit. And we'll spiritually wither and die. Even before we get on to the scarier bit of this verse about fire, I think this is a wake-up call. Spiritually speaking, Jesus offers life in all its fullness. But I've known lots of people who could describe their lives as withered, spiritually, The solution is so, so simple. Get grafted into Jesus. Be a branch connected to the vine. Get his life pumping through your viney veins. So what about that fire? Is Jesus talking about hell? Maybe. Seems a pretty good explanation of what he's saying in verse 6. And I don't want to duck away from it. It is so, so important that we connect people to this God who loves them, who wants them back, who wants to give them life and free them from the enemy who Jesus describes as the prince of this world, the one who controls the world and the culture around us, that culture that is so destructive and claims so many. I, I don't know what hell is like, but I know that I don't want anyone to go there, nor do I want anyone to miss out on what Jesus is offering them. I don't think Jesus wants any person to go there either. I see him wanting to be a vine trunk for anyone who will allow themselves to be grafted in. It is so, so important that we introduce people to God, that we take the kingdom to those who need to hear about it, experience it, and be transformed by the God who loves them and died to set them free. That is actually part of the reason why we do home group socials in this church. Um, It's a good way to get to know each other in home group, but it's also a great opportunity to say, you think churches are full of weirdos. I mean, you're you're mostly right, but (laughs) come and see those weirdos like eating cheese and drinking wine, and actually, oh yeah, they're all right, actually. Yeah, okay, so maybe I'll find out what this church is about. We allow people the opportunity to suss us out before they step into a terrifying environment most of the time. I'd encourage each of you, if you have friends, who don't know this God who loves them, that actually the most loving thing you can do for them is to introduce them to Jesus. Introduce the kingdom of God into their lives. I'd encourage each of you to take God's presence with you as boldly as you can into your work relationships, your friendships, your families. There is a world that needs to know that God loves them. And friends, if you're thinking of someone right now who needs to know Jesus, you're probably the best placed person the most effective branch to reach those individuals. I would love it if we had loads of people come and join us here on a Sunday morning in Kingdom Vineyard to worship Jesus, but I am not about sharing the gospel for church 
bum pew filling recruitment. I'm not desperate for people to come and join us here so that we can feel good about ourselves. Far from it. There is a truth that there is a God who loves these people and whatever church people find themselves in, let them meet Jesus. It's far more important that they have a true connection with the vine than Kingdom Vineyard get to put another one on our tally of how many folk we can expect. Frankly, I don't really care about that compared to spreading God's kingdom in this world. As much as it's lovely to have a lot of you singing. If there is someone on your heart who needs to know to meet, who needs to meet Jesus, I'd love for us to pray for them and pray for you that God will use you to show his love to them. Let's carry on through. Verse 7 gives another wonderful, tantalizing offer that God will answer any prayer in his name. Now, for time and for not repeating my talk from three weeks ago, I'm not going to spend long here. TLDR, if Jesus' words abide in us, if our lives are lived with his person, his priorities in our center, then the whatever we ask will line up with what he wants to offer us anyway. God might not grant me a Ferrari just because I fancy it, but Jesus is well up for, asking in the, uh, for answering the things that we ask that bring his glory into this world. You can hear me try to argue that the Lord might give me a Ferrari anyway by finding the podcast link on our website. Verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. God loves it. And God gets glory when our faith in him shines through. God loves it when our trust in him is so evident that the people around us, whether they know God or not, go, wow, they really trust God. And he seemed to came through, seemed to come through. That seemed to work out. And God really loves us. You've probably heard Jesus loves you so many times it's a cliche. But here it is in Scripture. Jesus loves us, his disciples, not just the original 12, but us, with that same love that the Father has for the Son. That's pretty incredible. We're not some afterthought to the Father, Son, Spirit admiring each other. No, 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 the love that God has for us is as much as the Father has for the Son. Of course he wants to answer our prayers, so long as they're good for us. Of course he is not going to give us bad things when we ask for good. How could we ever have doubted? Jesus even simplifies it for folk like me. Not just abide in me, but abide in my love. Make your home in my love. Wonderful. So how do we do that? Verse 10 says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The way to make our homes in Jesus to make our home in his love is to do the stuff he asks of us. Let him and his instructions for our lives prune away the distractions and destructions from us so that we can better focus on him and produce the fruit he wants us to, or he wants to grow in us. Let him cleanse from us the secret sins that we sneak on the side for our best interests. His commandments, specifically in verse 12, are to Love each other as I have loved you. That love that the Father has for the Son, brilliant. Which your Son offers to us, amazing. That's how he wants us to treat each other, gulp. It's hard going, but that's the world he wants to set up. 
One where the love that Father has for Son is the love the Son has for us, is the love that we have for each other. And this isn't wishy-washy stuff. This is the desire of the Almighty God that this world be characterized by his love and not by anything else. I heard that preached yesterday. If we keep his commandments, we'll remain in his love. Well, what with love being the main emphasis of his commandments, that seems to stand to reason. And as for the my joy being in you and my joy uh, being made complete, I think that's not just Jesus saying, this is good news, guys. I think this is an invitation for his presence within you to fill you with joy, which we'll invite you to do in just a moment. Verse 13 has Jesus again warning his disciples of what to come. He's lovingly preparing his precious 12 by saying, greater love has no man than this, by the way, lads, that someone lay down his life for his friends. He is so kind. His tenderness here is beautiful. Jesus really cares for these guys. Cares that they don't get so freaked out by what's about to happen that they never come back. He absolutely adores this bunch of slow-to-get-its which is just how he feels about me. Hallelujah. And I reckon you as well. Friends is how Jesus refers to these guys. If you're put off by the do what I commanded you bit, he's not trying to be a manipulative or a controlling friend. These are the same commandments that we've just heard to stay in his love and to share that love with one another. Hardly a brutal dictator. These things that Jesus tells us in this passage, this message he gives us, are so that we will love one another. And so that our rootedness into him and the fruit that comes from our rootedness into him would abide, would remain. Fruit that lasts. He's not even launching us out and wishing us well, but he's the vine we're rooted into, supplying our life and our energy, our joy, and even our answers to miraculous prayers to help us as we grow. I want to see God's fruit, God's DNA grown in each of you. It's a privilege to see what I'm seeing already in your lives. Honestly, it's such a joy. And like branches of the same tree working alongside each other, producing fruit that we can celebrate in each other, that carries the same DNA as each other, cheek by jowl up against each other, that he can be given the glory, and anyone who will watch can say, wow, isn't God good to us? That's my heart for us. And even if the boat that we're sent out in isn't always as strong as we might want it to look, we're sent out with him. If you're moving on from St. Andrews soon, abide. Stay in him. If you're a member of our core church, you're here all the time, but you don't feel his life sapping through your soul right now, Rest, again, in him. Make your home in him. And if you're here this morning and still working out what this church business is all about, you are so, so welcome. Jesus invites you to make your heart's home in him. And it would be our sheer privilege to pray with you and to ask God to show you his love for you right here in just a moment, if you're up for giving him a chance. This passage of scripture, this snippet of Jesus' little conversation with his most intimate and close friends shows us the relationship that God wants with us. It's one where his love flows into and through us. 
as rooted, as firmly established as branches of a tree. So, let's abide with him. Or, let's get stuck into Jesus. He wants to steer you clear of the counterfeits, the distractions and false faiths that will do you more harm than good. There's so much on offer here. So, why don't you stand and I'll pray for you. been a long morning. Um, we had a lot going on in worship, uh, and I've just talked at you for a long time, and I even cut out about half of that, honest. Um, so if you do need to, to go and collect your children from Young Vineyard in a moment, as some of the parents have been doing, uh, then feel released to do that. But I'm going to pray for us, and uh, what's going to happen next is we'll invite you uh, to come and stand up here. We do it at the front, not the back, so you can see that nothing weird happens. And members of our home groups who are trained to pray uh, respectfully and to uh, listen to God will come and offer to pray with you. Let's pray right now. Father, I ask that you would connect and root each of us into your vine trunk. Thank you for the grace, thank you for the love that you have for us, that you would accept even us to become part of your vine. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. And Lord, for those of us who maybe feel like we're struggling this morning for any reason, would you come and bring your life and your healing and your blessing? And for those of us uh, who aren't feeling like we're struggling but just want more of you, then come, Lord, would you bring your presence and your blessing? We had a sense when we were praying earlier on in the prayer meeting before the service that uh, there were people who perhaps felt like your righteousness was under threat. There may be accusations against you in the workplace or, or you, just, you just feel not as sure-footed in your sense of righteousness in God as you'd like to. Um, if that at all describes a situation you're in, um, then come forward and just say to someone, I, I want God's righteousness in my life and they'll pray for you. More of you, Lord Jesus, we ask. In your name. Amen. Mm -hmm.